Welcome to Rogue This is episode number 40 of the basketball series. Myself, Andrew Bogut, and Mike Procopio to spitball some basketball, what's going on in the world, the NBA, and everything few and far between. Pro, how's it going? Folks, can't complain, brother, and nobody would listen even if I had any complaints. Oh, you never know. You can just frantically tweet. You'll get one or two likes these days. That's a good point. That's a good point. I'm sure there's some fucking sad soul that would, or some fucking maniac that would want to listen, but. Eh. Shoulder to cry on for sure. So, anyway, the breaking news for me is I'm, I'm, I bought an aquarium, bro. A fucking what? I bought an aquarium, a small one, just a small little aquarium. So, all right, so my kids have been breaking my nuts about getting a pet. Um, I have, we don't have a pet at the moment. My wife and I had two dogs for a number of years and we enjoyed the dogs thoroughly and they passed away both recently. But we, um, obviously with two kids now and, and a pet and cleaning up the shit and they destroy everything. So we, we just haven't, um, got another pet. So they've been breaking our balls. So I thought, all right, cool. Um, I'll get, I, I went, actually went to an aquarium about a year ago and they started walking me through the maintenance and I basically walked out and was like, no, nah, I'm good. I just couldn't, couldn't I just couldn't get my head yeah. around like. The fir- it's basically the first month is a pain in the ass. Yeah. So anyway, um, my wife's been away for a week and I've just been myself and the kids and the older ones like, you know, I want a, want a cat or a dog and this and that. I said, well, we'll, we'll pump the brakes. We need to see if you, you leave and look after them because we know how that all finishes. The, the parents end up doing all the brunt of the work. So anyway, long story short, bought an aquarium. So sitting right next to me here in, in the office next to my podcast equipment. That's about as, as much fun as I've had for the week, bro. What are you, a fucking James Bond villain with that fucking aquarium? What do you got, sharks in there? Oh, it's Wait, tiny, kinda, man. Uh, it's, like, it's like literally, uh, it's literally one and a half feet by one and a half feet. It's like, t- it's a t- it's just oh, a- Oh, shit. It's just a small one. I've got six little fish in there. One of them's not doing too well. I don't know what the hell his problem is. I chuck food in there and he does nothing, doesn't even go after it. I think he might be blind or something. Um, but other five are doing great though. Um, so yeah, that's the breaking news from my end, pro. But other than that, <laughs> we'll get into some basketball. I want to open with some credit, pro. We, you know, we, we get negative at times on the show. We, I think we've got a good mix of positive and negative, but I'm going to give the NBA a shitload of credit. I'm going to give the referees a shitload of credit. Uh, we've, we've texted back and forth about this. I've, I've been um, pretty vocal about it on, on, on Twitter as far as commenting on it. The referees have made a huge adjustment with offensive players seeking the contact to be fouled. And it's been blatant the other way. It's, it's almost gone extreme the other way. And I'm going to say this right now. I'm all for the extreme going the other way because I think that's easier to, to reel back towards the middle. What I mean by extremes is they're letting some 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 <laughs> some hard fouls go at times if players are trying to initiate the contact, right? That are that are probably fouls, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's for me, it has been great to watch. It was one pet peeve I've had in the NBA. It is the uh, professional foul seekers, and you know James Harden types. I just I don't enjoy watching it. I I turn off. It's not entertaining. It's it's theatrics. It's fooling the referees, and I don't blame James Harden, right? I don't blame those players that do that. They're playing to the rule of the law, and if they manipulate it every now and then to get free throws or whatever, that's that's a part of the game. That's a game within a game. So I don't, I'm not blaming the players. But credit to the fucking NBA. I love it. It, it. it just the bullshit, the shenanigans, professional foul drawers. They need to be put to an end, and they have. Pro. I don't know how, you, how you've seen it, but we'll get through some numbers shortly. But I've, I've loved to see it so far. Yeah, I agree with it. It just it fucks up the whole flow of the game. You know, when, when it's just every other possession, there's some bullshit foul being called. And to be honest, like when I was working in the NBA and, and trying to increase players sort of offensive productivity and trying to get to the free throw line, I would try to study like Harden, Durant 
and how they draw fouls. And it was um, it's like I said, I can't teach that. That's I mean, some of the shit they would do is uh, it was unbelievable how they would get these calls. And I'm glad it's just like I said, like if you're trying to watch a game and every other possession is a fucking bullshit foul, especially on the three point shot when, you know, when they're just professional foul seekers, like you said. And uh, I don't really like the one in transition where you just stop. I know it's a smart play, but, you know, quote unquote, but. You know, I'm glad that I'm glad they're getting rid of some of this shit. It just it just takes away from the game. Yeah, I've always had the mindset of you know the, the foul in the NBA. If you've got a um, contest hand up and you're in your stance, you have to have it vertical, right? So if you have the the arm kind of out towards the player, I still think that if you're in that position before the offensive player where your hand is, I think that's your space. And I've always argued that that like the offensive player is is doing the rip through where they clip your arm. They're initiating that. It's not like you're swiping down. And I've always been vocal about that. It just always bothered me. But it's it's been great to see. It just takes away from the shenanigans. Some players have struggled with it, with the adjustment, which we'll get into now. But two big examples that I saw over the last couple of days, Brooklyn Nets played the Miami Heat, James Harden. Um, he had Bam on him, Bam out of eye on a switch. He drove right. Uh, he went into his ISO, drove by him on the right. Bam kind of stayed with him, and Bam had an armbar on his hip as he was driving. And James Harden had the um, ball in his right hand, and um, his offhand, he grabbed Bam's armbar, ripped through, and threw some brick at the at the basket to try and draw that foul, which he got for the last, arguably, five, eight years yeah. um, of, of his NBA career. And it was a no call. And he looked like an idiot. Harden looked like the stupidest shot in the world. He tried to bank, look like a bank shot from the top of the free throw line. They didn't call it. They grabbed the rebound, go to the other end, and, and, and Harden stopped trying to attempt it. And they're the ones, you know, like coming off a pick and roll and stopping. Or, you know, there's an arm bar and you search for that arm bar. It's not a foul. And and I've, I've loved seeing it. The second one that – the second example I've seen, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but Patrick Beverly – grabbed a defensive rebound and um, kind of dribbled towards the side of, of, of the elbow and then dribbled back towards the middle. And, and Thanasis and Tedekumpo, Giannis's brother, was sprinting back in defensive, you know, sp- sprinting back for defensive transition. And Beverly sees him sprinting and dribbles into his line where he's running and just stops with the ball and then falls over. The, the Chris Paul, the notorious, the notori- you know, especially for a big guy, you can't, you know, we're not, we're not adept at putting the, the handbrake on that quickly, pro. I'm sure you'd know. So he ran him over, falls down. The referee calls an, an, calls an offensive foul. Um, and, and that one probably is still a foul on, on, on Thanasis technically by the book, but I think they've had, you know, they've been worded up to not play into that theatrics and antics of trying to fool the referee, and they caught it the other way, and it was awesome. And, and Beverly even got up, put his thumb up, and said, all right, we're, we're going back to playing basketball and the rules of basketball, and we're going to stop with the theatrics. And, and it was great to see. I'm not sure if you saw that play either, bro. I did, as long as they're consistent with the Bogues. Like, one thing I got frustrated with with referees when they would come in, you know, they would come in, like, before uh, the first game, and they would, they would usually talk to your team for, like, 20 minutes, play that little video about the new calls they were going to make. And they were always like, oh, we're going to, you know – the travels, the, you know, we're going to call the travel, we're going to be heavy on it. And yeah, they would call it all through preseason, maybe the first eight or 10 games. And then they would just get back to the same old fucking bullshit. So I just hope, and, I, and this is a great deal early on as far as what they've been doing, not calling it. Hopefully they stay with it and consistent throughout the year, you know, of, of really making this a point of emphasis. Because I'm telling you, it's just the game, there's so many... I mean, there's so many good things about the game. Don't get me wrong, but like 
the style of play is bad enough with all the threes and the fucking bad shots and no defense. And now, you know, with those fouls, at least if you take the fouls out of it and you let them play basketball a little bit, at least it gets, you know, gets them at least a little bit back to reality with how the game's being played. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see it as well. Yeah, I think it's the purity question too, right? It's, 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 you know, you're watching a game and you're trying to trick the referee into something that's not there. And I think this, you know, and like I said, I don't blame the player. They're playing within the rules. It's up to the referee to stop it. It looks like the referees are trying to stop it. And, and you made an interesting point around, you know, a lot of our listeners won't know what you're talking about with those referee visits. So what Pro is talking about is every pre-season training camp, the head of the referees and maybe one other referee come in. Sometimes it's solo or sometimes it's, it's you know, it is what it is. They come and visit every team during training camp for about an hour. Um, and it'll usually be either before training or after training. They give you about an hour of their time. They play this bullshit video with, these are our points of emphasis for this season. This is what we're not calling. This is what we are. There's something different every year. Like there was one year where it was demonstrative reactions to referees call. So it could be as much as clapping technical foul. It was that, it was that whole two, three seasons where they just would teen you up for anything, right? So the referees would go around and they would um, give the spiel. And I always laugh at a pro because players and coaches then would, would have an open forum for questions and, and, and players would be like, Oh, well, if I'm doing this and, and I just used to laugh and be like, not like, what? the players would get so heated and, and assistant coaches, well, this is bullshit. This player does this and the opposing star on this team does this. Why can't our guys get that call? That shouldn't be called. And they're getting all fired up and you're like, this dude has to deal with this for 30 teams. He's going to yes sue you just to get the fuck out of that meeting and get back on his plane and go to the next team and not much is going to change. They've made their decision on their rules. They play that damn video. Keep in mind that's what they're trying to change and just get on with it. those meetings. I don't know how you felt, but a lot of times, you know, every team I've been on, it'd get heated. The superstar player on the team, Generally, it would fire up and this is bullshit and blah, 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 blah. And like you said, game 10, no one remembers it again. And it's just back to square one. Yeah, I agree. And to be honest, if they can do anything, Bogues, they should be very hot on players that give any shit to referees. Honestly, like you're a professional. The problem is like when LeBron does it and all the high-end guys do it, then everybody thinks they should be doing it. And it's just like... It's your professional team. Yeah, I get, I understand things get heated, but be a fucking professional. Like what rookies, what we told guys in Dallas was like, look, you get fucked on a call. You're going to get fucked on a call. You're a fresh, you're a rookie, right? So like the next stoppage of play, put your arm around the referee and say, look, I thought I got fouled there. Can you explain it? And just build up some rapport with the ref. Zero percent of the time, when you bitch about a call, are they gonna really fucking? What are they gonna say? Oh yeah, you know, Mister Bogut, yeah, no doubt about it. We're gonna, you know, yeah, that's not a foul. Like, what are they gonna do? Change their fucking mind? Besides the coaching challenge, they're not gonna fucking change their mind. And then you you look like an ass by doing it, and you do it over and over and over and over again. That's the one thing about Luca, at least this year, like watching a couple of his games, like he seems like he's a lot better, at least for the first five or six games of the year. Well, he was on the he was on the threshold last year for, for suspension, wasn't he? For technicals? Yeah, but like just, it's bad look when you do it like almost every game, three, four, five, six times a game. I understand things get heated, but like, A, they're never going to, they're never going to turn their call around. You know, so like a lot of times, I've heard from like, you know, other people who do it. They said, yeah, you know what? If I do it enough, they're going to give me the, they get, they're going to get, uh, give me the next call. And I'd be like, yeah, but like, you know what? It's a shitty way to do it. Instead of just putting your arm around them. Like I said, they're going to miss calls. They're, they're fucking human beings. They're not going to be great at it, of course, but they're going to try. 
you know, there's some bad referees, don't get me wrong, but like a lot of them are just, they're going to miss shit. It is what it is. But just fucking be a professional about it. And I think that this is a good step with this uh, no call stuff, you know, not calling the things, but I think they should really be very tight with technical fouls. You know why, Bogues? Like you do it for the first 15, 20 games. Then guys got to understand they're not gonna they're not gonna put up with that shit. What do you mean so by tight? Say- do you mean okay? So devil's advocate here. I was an emotional guy. I wasn't. I wasn't a guy that was. I wasn't an every game emotional guy because, like you said, I kind of try to spend my bullets when I had them. Yeah. But um, let's say there's a bad call and I, I, I you know, the, the notorious run in the other direction, hands on my head, but no abuse. Is that okay? Because I think that's not. Look, I don't think that's too bad as long as it doesn't disrupt play. I think any abuse, swearing, like yeah. what the fuck, I think that's that, no problem. No technical foul, but. It got to a point yeah. where they, you know, four or five years ago, where if you just ran away or you just clapped like, oh, come on, man, tough call, like, but no swearing, they'll team that up as well. So, I think I think that side of things, the good referees usually give you, they know when they've made a bad call. They usually give you five odd seconds to vent yeah. without swearing and direct abuse. Like, oh, man, how'd you miss that? You got to call that shit. And then that's it. Right. And they'll let that slide. And then if you continue, they tee you up. They're the referees I respect, right? The ones that are quick whistle, I struggle with them. And the ones that- blow something like a guy running in, in the other direction in front of their bench with his hands on his head. Like, you don't need to tee that up. You know what I mean? And worst case, if it's slowing the game up, just give the other team the ball to take out. And if he's back, not he, he's not back on transition, so be it. So are you, are you referring to any kind of emotion or just direct swearing and abuse? Well, folks, they're going to have to come up with something. I, I, of course, it can't just be anything, right? But like, it has to be some type of consistent value system of okay this is what we're going to put up with it's going to be very little but we will put up with this here are the examples just like on those videos and then there will be that they'll show you before the season and then here's what we're definitely not putting up with and just show them examples so everybody's on the same page with it i think it has to get better folks it's getting to a point where it's just it's bad you know like at least from last year the last few years not sure about this year how bad it's been. It's been early, obviously, but they gotta like it's a professional game. You can't every fucking time. You know, Jason Tatum's been big on it. Luca's been big on it in the past. Hopefully, he'll he'll you know he'll continue this year dealing with it the way he's been dealing with it. But like, you can't just do it where you're just complaining about every call for or against whatever on you. What's and, the number, pro? You know. What's the number for suspension? Is it fifteen? 16? I think it's 15. Don't don't quote me on it, but I think it's something like 15. Well, I think that's too high right there. So, I know yeah. that that's included with, I think, flagrants, isn't it, though? So, but look, I mean, 15 is probably too much because that's essentially one in, one in five games, um, one in six, yeah. you can you can get a T. So, maybe they go to one one out of 10, maybe you go to 10, and then you bring that down a little bit, and then guys will be a bit more um, cognizant of not getting them. But yeah, I mean, it, you don't want to see uh, abuse um, and demonstrative actions towards an official, but they're also needs to be that human element of um, I guess like I said the good referees just had a really good tact for controlling it well and they'd give you a little bit of a, a leeway to you know let out what you needed to let out understanding that they probably made a questionable call and then they'd say alright that's enough and then if you went beyond that you got teed up I'm, I'm, I was cool with those referees but I, I don't think it's been that bad this season yet um, the other thing is pro with this is we all know how it's going to work even if there is a hard hard rule on no tolerance that if it's 
you know, Kevin Durant in the fourth quarter with five fouls, he knows he can push the envelope basically past whatever it is, right? Close game. Do they then call a tee then? You know, there's all those conversations and nuances that come in. It's easy to blow a tee in quarter one, two, and three to a superstar player that's not in foul trouble. But what happens when LeBron James is, you know, drives, gets hit in the face, they miss the call and he's abusing the ref? What does the referee do? Is he going to want to be on Sports Center, you know, and give him his, his second tee to throw him out or whatever it is? You know what I'm saying? So that's the other interesting one, my bad. But yeah, NBA, my bad. Don't, don't. It doesn't count as a personal foul internationally. It does. But just to finish his caption off anyway, James Harden right now, he's he just got a massive spike because they played Indiana the other night and he shot 16 free throws. But before that, he was at 5.7. He's at 5.7 right now with that massive jump, 5.7 free throw attempts a night. His career high season was in Houston. Yeah, 11.8 in 1920. So it tells you the disparities. He's basically halved his free throw attempts just because of this rule. I think the lowest he's ever had was his, 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 his first couple of seasons, which were below 5.7. So right there, it has affected guys like James Harden. The other one that has made comments, Trey Young, I think his game is probably similar where he tries to draw a lot of fouls. He is a smaller, more frail guy. So he does get pushed a fair bit, but those two guys have voiced frustration. I just, so I decided to just have a look at, at who, who else's numbers were affected and. It brings me to your point about different topics that we've had in the past where, you know, bigs now need to shoot threes. You always said that, you know, good players will always find a way. They'll always find a way to adjust and, and better their game. And you look at Steph Curry right now, Kevin Durant, Jokic, Giannis, even Ja Morant. They all have no issue right now scoring the ball at all. And some would argue, there were people that argued when I put Curry in this bracket, well, you can't put him in that bracket because he's one of those foul drawers. I'm like, yeah, because he, he plays to whatever he can. But at the same time, he doesn't need that to be the staple of his game like I think a Harden does. He'll, he'll find other ways and, and, and proven by his numbers this season. They're not calling that same stuff. His numbers are pretty much on par with the rest of the season. So, I mean, the players that are greatly affected are a little bit vocal about it and they're going to have to adjust. It'll be interesting to see, you know, first off, James Harden probably needs to get in a bit better shape. He, he looks really heavy out there and then Trey Young to see if he can if he can adjust. I think they both can. I think it's going to take us some time but I think it's a different ball game pro when you're, when you're James Harden and you start a game 0 for 5 from the field but then you manage to shoot 10 free throws and get yourself in a rhythm and then all of a sudden, you know, that, that's a much easier game arguably. But if you're 0 for 5 and not getting those those baby calls to get to the free throw line, it's a much much harder second half, right? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's a lot easier to get back in rhythm when you can get to the free throw line whenever you want. And if you get to the line 10 times a game, you know, if you get in the line 4 or 5 times in, in, in a quarter or a half, it really, you know, it could really turn you around and get, and get your confidence going. And as you know, confidence is the most important thing a player could have. So, yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm glad they did this. You know, I like the players that can get to the free throw line by using fake. I don't like when they initiate. The only times I like when they initiate is if they're driving to the lane, somebody's on their hip, and instead of like giving up that real estate, they sort of initiate that contact. Not blatant, but just like get that shoulder into them. And I like that type of foul, but I don't I like I don't like the hardened type stuff where they're just going under you or they're you know they're hitting your arm bar or what have you. So yeah, I don't, I don't mind the um, the pump fake as well in the paint, and some guys trying to block your shot. Yeah. And you pump fake him, and that's a standard basketball play. But if they go straight up, and you initiate, which I think they've done a good job with this season too, they've they've, they've done a lot a lot on a lot of three point shots that I've noticed is if if you're jumping even a little bit forward, but straight up, but the player initiation initiates the contact that has the ball, then they're not calling those. So I think it, it, it's it's probably there's some people that have noted it has gone the other way where they've let go a whole lot more than they should. But I like that extreme um, rather than the other. But you know, I mean. 
as a fan right now, which I am, um, washed up NBA player, doesn't play anymore. As a fan, it's great to see for me. I, I really, really struggled with the professional foul drawing. I would turn those games off. Whichever teams had those players, I generally didn't want to watch just because I don't want to watch a dude shoot 22 free throws. It's just not what it's not, it's not a beautiful game to me. I'm, I'm more of that beautiful plays, back and forth action, big three at one end, big dunk, big stop, big block, big rebound, charge, you know, the emotions of the game. I don't want to see, you know, foul, 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 but that's just me. So, Anyway, we'll close that off. You sent through some something interesting from um, the Utah Jazz. It was on Bleacher Report, so we credit them with the article. And it's basically stating that Utah Jazz confront elephant in the room to keep stars long-term. So basically, it's, it's an article stating that in today's, in today's NBA front offices, draft a superstar like Donovan Mitchell, then spend the next nine years recruiting that player to stick around with the team they're already with for that third contract. Uh, Favors are done. Players, friends, and family can find themselves in formal roles within an organization. That ongoing recruitment entails for more than adding complementary players on the superstars timeline. Quote, the only chance you have to win a championship is to have one of those guys, said a veteran NBA coach. If you're a small market, you got to do everything in your power to keep them because you only get one every 40 years without sacrificing your organization's principles. Well, in my opinion, that's very hard to do if you're bending that far. Continues on, one source with knowledge of the situation. Mitchell had no involvement in the Dwayne Wade purchasing a stake in the team. In any case, it's a move many league observers have viewed as a direct attempt by Smith, their owner, to appease Mitchell, who first formed a strong connection with Wade through their representation representation at CAA Sports. It's a little bit of a new owner syndrome too, said one assistant manager. You come in and you're immediately told the star player, you want them to like you. So, I mean, star-driven personnel moves happen across the league frequently. The Narciss, Giannis's brother, will likely play for the Bucks as long as Giannis does. Portland is rostering 6'4 wing Kelgen. Blevins, cousin of Trailblazers all-star Dame Lillard, on a two-way contract for the second straight season. Charlotte Hornets and LiAngelo Ball, Summer League, Training Camp, and now even the franchise of G League outfit in Greensboro. Even in glitzier markets like Brooklyn, major decision- decisions are rarely finalized without consulting a team's marquee player. If I had Kevin Durant, added the veteran coach, I'd do whatever the fuck he says. And that closes out that article, but it's basically saying that, you know, I feel bad for these small markets, bro, because- I've seen this story so many times before, and one of the quotes from that, you know, a Western, Com- a veteran NBA coach that said, you know, you want to do whatever you can to appease them without sacrificing your organization's principles. Well, in my opinion, it's one or the other, right? You can't do both. Um, the Brooklyn story that we broke um, a couple of a couple of months ago, where they're, you know, basically paying for, you know, side side piece girlfriends and friends and family for hotel suites on the road, and it's open budget. I mean, I, I get it to an extent; it is illegal. But for a small market like the Utah Jazz, let's say they sign some players to to, to comfort Donovan Mitchell and whatnot, if he then gets up and leaves, which we saw with Cleveland and LeBron, you're left holding a bag of bad contracts and bad decisions and bad hires and. A former AAU coach, it's your development coach or shooting coach and XYZ. And we've seen this many times, pro. But give me your take around it. Do you think this is feasible for small markets to continue to have to do this kind of stuff to keep players? There's nothing you can do, folks. I mean, but that's the problem. There's nothing. Look, and I understand why there's nothing you could do. You got to try to, you got to try to draft well. You got to try to sign free agents. You're going to have to try to develop your talent. You know, it all comes hand in hand and get a little lucky. You know, there are teams like Milwaukee, like Oklahoma City. You know, they were able to get to a high level. Oklahoma City almost won a championship. And then Milwaukee obviously won one. But you can't keep these guys, you know, 
you can't keep these guys against their will. The Clippers hired uh, Kawhi Leonard's uh, college teammate as one of their assistant coaches. I mean, it happens. Like this is what ha- it's been happening for years. High, you know, big market and small market. Um, and I think that they're going to continue to have to push the envelope on things that they do to sort of cater to these players to keep them there. They've got total control. If they wake up one day and say, I want to get out, 90% chance they're going to get out, probably 95. Force their way with a trade, you know, what have you, or just wait till free agency and they leave. I don't know what you can do to stop it. I don't know. Like, to me, I would probably give the team that loses the player, the player, the team that signs them will probably, I, I would have to give up multiple first-round picks. Like, if you want to really keep these, try to keep these guys here, and if you, if they do leave, you're going to have to reward these these small time franchise, these small market teams with something, but you're going to have to keep doing it. And all teams do it. Big market teams, small market teams, owners do it. You know, front office people do it. It's, you know, coaching staffs do it. Like they do anything in their power to, to, to appease these players. And what are you going to do? It's not like you could say, well, the small market team, you're a restricted free agent for the rest of their career. And you got to stay in this one town if you don't want to be there. So I don't know what you do, Bogues, to really stop it. What do you have any? Well, so sort of a discussion no- around the supermax bonus. If you stay with the team, if you want out once you've signed it, then you lose that supermax bump up. Something similar with contracts. Like there has to be something that can protect small markets, other than having to sign their whole family and friend list that they've you know had at their wedding. Um, it, it just it, it's not good. I mean, look, you look at the Cavs and what they had to do to. You know, appease LeBron now. Obviously, a different situation, but they were all in for a championship, and LeBron was the GM, and they they resigned this guy to a big deal, that guy to a big deal. Cleveland's still feeling the ramifications of that to an extent. I mean, they got some high draft picks in last year's draft, but they're what three fourth year on from LeBron now, and they're still not really. You know, they're starting to get a bit more competitive with some young talent, but they're, they're you know, it's a, it's going to be a five six year process once players do that. You know, where they dictate terms and then they end up leaving anyway. Cleveland was left stuck in, uh, stuck with a bag of bad contracts, Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith, whoever, whoever, whoever. And that's what you got to deal with. And like you said, there's no real way to get around it at the moment, but there has to be some sort of rules to protect those small markets because at the end of the day, every player wants to play in LA. Every player wants to play in New York and the big lights, the big marketing, all that kind of stuff. It's it's just so hard on those small markets to have to hire and, and, and do all this schmoozing behind the scenes whilst valuing your team's principles and your, your organization's principles and ethics like they don't go they don't go hand in hand um you know your star player gets to have his uncle on the training staff or and then your second star player what do you think he's going to ask for and then what do you think your rookie watching that when he becomes uh, you know in a position to get a long-term contract what do you think he's going to ask for that's the if that's what you're normalizing it's a very slippery slope and the one guy we're going to see with this is now zion williamson um is a prime example of this like you know they've appeased him they've got family there they hired a coach that he wanted blah 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 i think he still leaves and you know then they're left with holy shit you know not only that recruiting pro so you know arguably you have a superstar player like anthony davis with new orleans even zion with new orleans john moran these guys you're going to build your roster around their talent and their their elite skill right so you're not going to you know 
Memphis, for instance, let's say John Moran decides in five years he's going to leave, but they don't know that right now. And they're like, look, we've got an opportunity to sign, hypothetical, right? Steph Curry, or we've got an opportunity to trade for someone like that. We're not going to do that because we've got Jar. We're going to build around him with a good good shooter, a good strong big man, a good foreman. And then he leaves and you're like, holy shit. Now, now the roster doesn't really fit. It's a bit clunky. We're missing a guy that was 60, 70% usage, similar to if, if, if Luca left Dallas, right? A lot of those role players aren't as valuable. Their contracts aren't as valuable. So there's more ramifications than as simple as, oh, he left, they'll recover, they'll get draft picks. It's like your whole roster is structured around that elite, you know, top 25 player you have on your team. That is the unfortunate business side of basketball, but I just think that, the, you know, the deck's heavily stacked in the favor of big market teams that can just swoop those guys up after they've been developed like a, you know, like an Anthony Davis or whatnot. Um, but on the flip side, if New Orleans didn't develop Anthony Davis and he didn't do as well as he's doing now and not an all NBA guy, they're left holding the bag again. So he's not going to leave then. They're stuck with that bad contract or whatever. So I think it works both ways. It's just, I don't know what the what the fix is. I think I think just structuring something different with contracts so there's more incentive for them to stay. Money is really the only carrot the NBA teams have to dangle, right? There's not much else you can do unless you want to really basically hire the whole suburb the guy fucking played, you know, came from the whole town, <laughs> hire, hire a thousand people in the front office of all these friends and boys and high school friends. <laughs> That's probably the only other alternative. But yeah, it's it's kind of a, a brain teaser. Bogues, I would just. You got to give incentives to the, te- the the small markets if they do lose them. Like in football, they franchise tag players, and if if he leaves or you know he leaves in free agency or whatnot, that that team that signs them has to give the team that lost that player you know significant, not significant, but pretty good assets. I think it's uh, a certain amount of uh, first round picks. I would do something like that if you could franchise tag a player. You know, and that player either forces a way out of town. I, I would do it salary wise, harder base, you know, uh, base compensation where like harder to trade, you know, harder to trade those players, um, you know, give compensation where if you say Zion Williamson leaves to go to LA, well, LA's got to give four straight picks, like, like a pick, a pick swap, pick, and then a pick swap in the next four years at least. You got to give them something, an extra cap room if you lose your, you know, if you lose your franchise tag player. Like, you're never going to stop the play, the teams from doing under the table deals with players to try to keep them there. You know, signing, you know, Giannis's brother or, you know, or Steph's brother in law. Like, you know, like it's always going to happen. You want to always keep your players happy, especially your really good ones. I would, I don't think you'll ever stop that, but I think you can make it a little bit harder for those players to leave with salary stuff like we talked about, as well as give assets back to the team that loses the player, you know, rather than just losing. Remember that year where, you know, LeBron left, um, you know, LeBron left, you had Bosch left, you know, Toronto, you had LeBron leaving Cleveland. Those guys left with nothing. You know, I think in some ways, there might have been signing trades done where those guys got a draft pick out of it, but it was almost nothing. I think you have to give incentives to those teams that lose players to at least put them on the position, uh, like put them on the track of like rebuilding a little bit faster. But it's hard, man, especially a small market team. It's it's really hard. Yeah, it is. And it's going to continue. Like you said, there's no, there's no fix. No matter what the rule is implemented, it's going to be circumnavigated. But anyhow, watch that space. Where in the world is Carmen San? No, where is Rui Hachimura pro? That is a question. He is, um, I don't know if you follow this much, but 
He, personal reasons, hasn't reported to training camp, hasn't been around the team since since training camp. So what are we, 31st of October in Australia, 30th over there. Hasn't been around. There's, there's some quotes from some sources, so I assume players or management um, quote we haven't seen him at all maybe he does individual workouts at night we have no idea what's going on another source what's weird is Rui's name is kind of taboo around here nobody mentions him have you heard anything I mean other than there's some potential mental health issues but it's just strange that um, there hasn't been a statement you know from the from the wizards no one's really you know usually these things leak through a player through somebody and then it gets noted off record with what's going on. But don't forget, it was a flag bearer for his country at, at, at the Japan Olympics. A lot of pressure on him with with the basketball team was there. One of their, I'm not sure if they've been in a bar. I think probably the 70s was the last time they, they played a, a basketball tournament at the Olympics, um, Japan. So a lot of pressure on him. They didn't do as well as they would have liked, but they were in a pretty pretty suicidal pool, to be honest. His numbers weren't, weren't horrible, weren't great, didn't shoot it that well, but put up some decent numbers. But what is going on, Pro? I have no idea. I, I, you know, folks, it's a weird situation. Like, you know, I guess from what I've heard that he's in individual workouts but not practices. There were like stories a few weeks ago saying he unfollowed everyone since he took a leave. Like, I've heard nothing but good things about this guy. Work ethic, pro, good guy, you know, all of that. And he had a pretty good rookie year. I think he got hurt. There was some an injury that he had, but I mean the kid, nothing. Model citizen, one of those guys you think is going to be around for ten years, not a problem. I don't know, Bogues. I have no idea. I don't think he got COVID or anything. No, no, it's it's they've said personal reasons since training camp. I guess they thought that he'd report after training camp. There's there's rumors that he, you know wild rumors about he struggled with the performance in the Olympics, all the pressure of being flag bearer. It's all kind of culminated into him just needing a break. Who knows? I mean, you, you wish him well if there's there's some mental demons there, but it's just it's one of those ones that's just strange. So it makes me think that it must be something pretty bad from a mental health standpoint if they haven't put a comment out, right? Because I'm, I'm sure the team, at least the GM and president and owner, are like, hey, man, this is one of our faces of our team, one of our young, young guys we just drafted, high upside. Um, we, we want to know what's going on, but you know, hopefully he gets healthy. But yeah, it doesn't look good because they're they're actually playing good basketball too. They're, they're, they're playing bad. They're playing well. Yeah, they're pretty competitive. I, I like the way they've started the season. Hopefully they can continue that. Beal is, is is tough, but yeah, he'd be a huge piece for him that could obviously help him potentially get to to a, a late playoff berth. But um, yeah, we wish him well anyway. Charlotte, you see the the low ball they threw at Bridges Pro. Yeah, they threw him a smaller deal. They didn't they throw him like a small. They tried to give him like a low ball deal. Yeah, they low ball dealed him for his extension, four years, sixty million. I think he laughed it out of the room. There were some comments where he said, you know, he, he thinks he's closer towards the max. I think he's a really good player. I think, um, and this is notorious for Charlotte and MJ. They they try to they try to be clever at times and low ball and get a cheap deal, and it can backfire. You know, it can be deemed like a disrespectful offer, even if it is coming from MJ himself. And it's in their right to do so. They obviously know they're going to have to pay Lamelo eventually, and, and there's a few other pieces there that you got to pay. But yeah, I mean, four years, sixty. It'll be interesting to see what he gets if if if, if he goes into restricted free agency down down the line, or if he has that. That now a uh, little bit of spite in him that he's he's pissed off at, at Charlotte in the front office, but um they're a good they're a good young fun team to watch as well. So uh, I just wonder if this will backfire to a point where it's like unless you give me the max, I'm walking. You know? Yeah, I don't think it's going to come to that, Bogues. I think most teams are going to try to try to sign their guys unless unless they were averaging 20, 18, 20, 25 points a game. They're probably going to come at you with a small offer right off the bat to see if you just want to take it and then you just want to move forward with decent money. I mean. 
mean, it's not like they offered a mid-level exception. I mean, four years, $60 million is a pretty good deal. Not great, obviously, not what he's worth. He's averaging almost 26 points a game now. And, you know, obviously, he's one of the better young players at, in the first you know, six games of the year for them. But I think it's going to be all... I think it's going to be all forgotten. You know, he's a restricted free agent. The the NBA teams can do whatever they want as far as signing guys, trying to sign guys. And then at the end of the day, they're going to have the last right to refuse if they if he does get an offer sheet from another team. Yeah, he, he might get a little piss, pissy about the offer at first. But again, this summer they can come back and say, hey, we'll give you four years, 100. You know, if he keeps doing what he's doing, he's probably going to get – you know, I would say he's probably going to get probably in that 100 to 110 range. You know, maybe even more. Who knows? But, uh, you know, I don't think it's a big deal. It's not like I said. It's not like they, they – there was a lower offer, but it wasn't the, it wasn't terrible. It was just – especially what he's doing now. Look, he only averaged like 12 – almost like I think he averaged like 13 a game his last two years. So, it wasn't like he was putting up these monster numbers. And now he's putting up monster numbers. And if he keeps doing it and he keeps earning his wealth, he's going to get it. So, you know, he'll be fine. I think, I think both sides will be fine on this. Yeah, you hope, you hope it will. I, think it, I don't think it'll be too much of a big deal, but he's backing himself and you like to see that. Just pray there's no injuries and can move, on, move forward. Mo Bamba, pro, what's going on, man? Fuck. What is going on? Mo, I'll tell you what's going on. A complete bitch slap of me. He fucking, you know, I, I destroyed him last year, and the guy's playing well. Hey, look, the team's not winning. That's not a, that's not a backhanded compliment, you know, compliment on that end. He's doing really well. He's putting up good numbers. You know, those guys are competing, and they, they stayed close in a couple of games already, even though they're not going to be very good this year. But, uh, you know, the guy's getting it. Sometimes it takes a while to get it. Um, you know, he's turned things around. You know, he's had a – Pretty productive, probably last, I'd say, eight months or so. So, hey, fuck, I'll admit when I'm wrong all fucking day. This guy's been playing well. What do you think of uh, Have you watched him? Yes, yeah. Well, just under 14 points a game, 10 rebounds a game, 1.8 blocks, 50% from the field, 40% from three on 4.5 attempts pro. So, he's shooting the piss out of the ball from three. Uh, he's getting there. Look, he, he didn't play a lick his first couple of seasons. He wasn't even in rotations for, for a lot of his career early on. I mean, I think it's a mix. I think he's playing very well. I think also the fact that he probably knows he has to play right now with the roster that they've got. They're that they are a tank. They're a tank mode roster, a rebuild roster with a lot of young talent. So he's going to be able to play through his mistakes. And sometimes that's all guys need. They need that opportunity to not go in there with a panic that shit. If I turn it over or make a bad play, I'm coming straight out. He knows he's going to play, and he's on a team that sucks. So you can't take too much into the numbers, but. You know, he's still doing it. I mean, 14 and 10 is nothing to sneeze at in the NBA. I can tell you that much. Double-double. So, I've, I've enjoyed his growth and um, I've enjoyed him sticking it up you, bro. <laughs> yeah, you know what? He was a little a, a little immature when he came in the league from what I was told. You know, work ethic, sort of like what he thought his role should be, very outspoken. And, you know, sometimes what happens with that, I think, you know, with Clifford being a veteran coach, you know, before he got let go, like he wasn't going to put up with that shit. And he was going to, you know, I think it really did him well with his career and said, you know what, maybe I got to take a more humble approach at this. Maybe I got to work a little harder. Maybe I got to say a little less and just and start producing. And to his credit, he kept it going. A lot of players are like end up being like, 
You know, because his talent level, he's good. Like, he could be like a, you know, a different type. But you remember Jason Thompson yep. that played for Sacramento? Like, he could – like, Jason Thompson was a good, solid player. And he, he might be able to be better than Jason Thompson. But, like, Jason Thompson wasn't an all-star. He wasn't a great player. And I don't think Mo Bamba's an all-star or a great player. But he could be a solid player. And I think that – Sometimes when you get in there and you're just a solid player, but you have this attitude like you're a franchise guy and you're you don't work hard, you give you're a pain in the ass, you know, and then like things don't go well for you, and that now it's like your year three, your year four, you know, look at the Bagley thing, like you could end up like that where you're like, you know, ostracized from your team and fucking sent to a different planet and not playing and this and that. You know, at least now he's turned it around. He said, you know what? I got to probably change what I'm doing. I got to change my approach or how I approach the game, how I preach my approach, my, you know, how I prepare for things. And hey, fuck, he's, he's paying off. I, you know, I got fucking bitch slapped and we'll go from there. Yeah. He was pick six. So he probably came in with a, an inflated view of himself being a, a lottery pick that probably franchise guy in a year or two. So you can understand that. You just hope that, like you said, he's, he's been hit on the head by Clifford and a few other people in the past that he's realized he's still got to work for it. And it seems like he has. They're good numbers. So hopefully his trajectory continues to grow up. College pro, well, college and kind of pros, actually, this, yeah. this affects. The, NA, the NAACP is telling athletes at all levels not to sign with Texas teams because of their mask mandates, voting rules, and above all, abortion pro. Derek Johnson, president and CEO of the NAACP, signed the letter outlining Texas's legislation on abortion, face masks, and voting rights. The National Association of the Advancement of Colored People sent a two-page letter to the Players Associations of five professional sports leagues calling on players to rethink signing contracts with teams in Texas due to recent laws passed in the state. Quote, Texas is setting a precedent for effectively dismantling civil rights throughout the nation. The letter read, if you're considering signing in Texas, I ask you to ensure the that owners are upholding their responsibility of protecting you, the athlete, and your family. I ask you use your influence to help protect the constitutional rights of each individual at risk. Pretty strange thing for them to get involved in, number one. Um, in my opinion, it's... Uh, not sure around the quote around civil rights because there are a lot of people that argue civil rights are impacted by vaccine mandates and all that kind of stuff. So um, just an interesting one that, you know, I highly doubt there's any athlete in the world that would get an offer from a Texas team for 50 million and then get an offer from an LA team for 40 and be like, oh, I'm going to take the 40 because, I, you know, those abortion laws are a bit, uh, a bit too much, bro. But I don't know what your thoughts are. Just a strange one that you, you sent over for us to talk about. I think it's a weird, it's a real weird, it's strange um, to get involved with it. Like, again, if you don't, it just goes to show you it happens everywhere. If you don't like somebody's politics, you attack them. If they don't think the way you should think, then you want to hurt that person or that entity. And I, I think they have no reason to, to sort of stop this. You know, I'm not going to get into the rules and what I think of them and the, the voting laws and all that stuff. But it's just stupid. It's just it's not it's not smart. It's not smart. Like you're going to tell people not to sign. You're going to tell college kids not to sign letters of intent with co college teams because of a state's mandate, which the college has nothing to do with it. The college has nothing to do with the laws that were done in the state. So why are you going to All the pro sports teams, all the owners, all, yeah. Yeah, cool. I mean, look, you're NAACP. You're, you're, you know, you're sticking up for African-Americans' rights and minority rights and things like that. But you're hurting other people. 
like you're hurting other people in the yeah, process pro, of doing pro, this. You're telling me there's no people of color that uh, I hate that term, by the way, but there's no there's no African Americans that you know agree with the legislation in Texas. Is that what you're saying? Like that, that that's yeah. why it's so stupid because there's people that are going to be on both sides of it. Like politics aside, there's going to be people that agree with mask mandates that are white, people that disagree with mask mandates that are white, and vice versa with any other race, religion, creed. It's it's this is one of the most split issues in in world history where it's not affecting color, religion, race, creed. Everyone's got a different opinion on it, and that's why it's so strange for an organization that it's an abuse of power. It's an abuse of power. You got people behind you that 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 are going to do whatever you need them to do. You know, NAACP, just like any other big organization. And now, just because somebody doesn't think the way you want to, you want to hurt someone else by using your power to do so. It's just, you know, it's a bullish move. You know, they stick up for people, you know, that are tr- that are getting bullied. And now they're doing the bullying. They're trying to do the bullying. It, it makes no sense. And yeah, I got I to gotta pass on this one. Yeah, Rabbit's got the gun. I just, all I can think about is if, you know, when I was, 18, 19, or 17, 18, about to sign a letter of intent to go to, you know, University of Utah. And I followed politics like I followed, you know, the bold and the beautiful. I didn't. Uh, I didn't give a shit, right? <laughs> like, and I think mm-hmm. most people are the same. When you're young, you know, you don't give a sh- You don't care about that. You don't want to watch what your parents are watching on TV or follow whatever they're talking about. That's just the way it was, right? Um, And I wish I was still like that for, for that matter. But if I was going to college and I signed a letter of intent or was about to in some group, I don't care who it was, the NAACP, it could be whoever it was, if they had nothing to do with my basketball, unless it was the NBA, the NBL, FIBA, if it wasn't one of those three where I was trying to get to, I would look at that letter and then I would never look at it again. I would be like, I don't I don't care. I don't care about it. whatever the hell you're talking about. I don't care. This school is probably the best path forward for me to become what I want to be. I don't give a shit about all the other stuff on the side. Like, you do with that. That's your problem. And I think most kids would be in the same basket. They wouldn't, they probably arguably are following politics more than we did. I don't know how you did mm-hmm. it as a kid, but just because it's, it's everywhere now social media, Trump, Biden, all that bullshit. But mm-hmm. man, if I, like I said, if I was a kid getting offered, I'm not, I'm not even sneezing at that letter. I'd, you know, use it to, to light a little bonfire in the backyard. Oh. And that, that's, that's as far as well, I go. Well- let me ask you something then. Is the NAACP going to, are they going to refund the hundreds of thousands of dollars these kids are going to lose in booster money by going to these schools in Texas? That's what I want to know, Bobes. Yeah, I'm sure you they know? will. I'm sure they will. That's what I mean. It's best for the kid. You can't take that away because well, there's some political laws you don't agree with. When you're supposed to be an association that is for all the people in your association, I bet my house there's people that are, that are supporters of the NAACP that are probably against some of the stuff that they're saying is bad, you know? So, Politics, sport, never mix as well. Another prime example that we had to note. Last one, Bol Bol, your boy, uh, liked a tweet saying that he should be t- <laughs> he should be traded. So this has been a funny past five or six years where there's been some, you know, th- th- there's subtle ways of doing things. I wonder if he gets a fine for it. Um, there is legislation in the NBA rule book with social media and asking for a trade. They've actually put that specific rule in, Pro. I'm not sure if you're aware, but it actually has, you know, if you like a post or tweet or Instagram post that is, you know, something like that, asking for a trade, something that's frowned upon, something that's, you know, derogatory, whatever, that they come after you. They put that in for that very reason. But he didn't do anything else but re- but, but 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 like it and then unlike it. But it seems like Bol Bol's a little frustrated there. He's in his, what is this, his third year? Hasn't hasn't played a lot. He's stuck behind some talented players and 
yeah, I'm, I'm just waiting to see for the formal request for him to move on. You know, Bugs, every time I speak out about a player and I say he can't play, the fucking guy averages like Wilt Chamberlain numbers. So I don't know if I'm going to go hard in a bowl bowl. Maybe I should for his uh, contract stake. But yeah, I mean, it's a frustrating thing to be a pro. You know, like when you're a Luka Doncic or you're LeBron James or whatever, you got to play right away. Um, everything's gravy. You could either earn it. You know, you're either going to earn the fact that you can play or earn the fact that you can't play. He probably feels as though he hasn't gotten a chance yet. He's, you know, he's a draft pick. He was very highly heralded getting into college at Oregon. And then, you know, things really haven't gotten his way. Um, it's a free enterprise system in the NBA a lot of times. They're going to find a way to play you if you could actually play. I've been hearing about this kid can play for three years. In summer league, they think he's going to be the next fucking Oscar Robertson or whatever, the, you know, Kevin Garnett or how, whoever you want to compare him to. And he just doesn't play. And, but he's got to be patient. Like, let that stuff work itself out. Let, you know, you pay your agent money to make sure that you get in the best possible situation. You have an agent, force a trade. You know, he's not playing that much. Mike Malone, if he could help him in any way, he would. He can't get on the floor. Something about him is like, doesn't really, doesn't really translate in the NBA at this point. And if, if he could, I'm sure Mike Malone would play him. So instead of like being passive aggressive and liking a tweet, and look, young people always do stupid things. I mean, we all do stupid things when you're young like that. I get it. You're frustrated. You know, you're not a 10 year pro and can't really handle not playing, but you know, there's probably better ways to handle it with this, but you know, I don't know. I don't think anybody really gives a fuck because the guy's been out of, out of sight, out of mind for three years. You know what I'm saying? Ouch. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. So. No, nah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I just don't think he, my guess would be he's somewhat struggling to fit in with what they're trying to do offensively, defensively, a little bit of step behind maybe. That would be my guess because he's athletic, he's long, he can play an open floor, but I think that might be a part of what's going on because there's no way in the world you would not play a guy with that size and length, especially with the, the, the um the style that Denver tries to play for the most part. I mean, they got they got Jokic was a bit a bit slower, but they got usually athletes out there going up and down with Jokic just you know putting it on the dime for whoever's running the floor and whatnot. So I, I can't see that Michael Malone sitting there saying, "How can I screw Bol Bol today?" I really think it's just a, a circumstantial issue that he doesn't fit in with what they're trying to do. Final one, our guy David Anderson of Robo's fame. We had him on a couple of months back, so check that out. Had some great stories, but uh, he's officially retired, pro. I think he's I think he's forty two this year, I believe. But he's finally hanging him up, which is great. <laughs> he's going to go back. And and uh, I would not be surprised if this dude makes a comeback somehow. Um, loves the game. Loves being around locker rooms and just a, a good, solid guy to have around. And really, I think he's going to really miss it. So, we wish him all the best. But one of the one of the winningest Australian players has tracked all around the world, played all around the world, different experiences. Great guy to talk to. Good friend of mine. We spent some time together the last um, couple of months working out together and whatnot. So, uh, we wish David Anderson all the best and, and all the best in his um, in, in the next phase of his life, bro. Maybe him and Gaze could start a podcast and he could rival us. <laughs> Yeah, we can't even get a post from Gaze anymore after after you berated him. You know, I, I apologize. Think- I, you know, I heard after after I talked to him, he dyed his hair black. It's the first time he had black hair since the seventies. Yeah, the midlife. Yeah, he was like, "Who are these guys?" But uh, nah, <laughs> all good. David Anderson, all the best. Next stats, useful and useless. So we touched on this one a little bit earlier. 
James Harden, this was before the Indiana game, 15 free throws total this season are his fewest through the five first five games of a season since 2010-11, similar to what we spoke about, but just shows that, you know, after five games, hasn't really um, got to the line as much as he would like, three, three a game, useful or useless? I'm going to say useful for the moment, for sure, just because it, it, it goes to show you how this new rule impacted him. And I think he's going to figure out how you know he he is a vet, one of the smartest scorers I've ever seen, and I think he's going to figure it out. But I think it's useful for now, because but I think that number is going to drastically go up by you know by All Star break. But for right now, I think that it's you mean it's going to go uh, up useful. because the referees are going to go back to their old way, or he's just going to be kind of trending towards better shape and playing. He's going to figure out some other fucking, you know, <laughs> half-assed way to draw fouls. I mean, the fucking guy's amazing. Like, some of the sh- I hate watching him play. I love watching him play in Oklahoma City. I don't like watching him play now because it's just the ball stops. And he's a hell of a talented player. But the guy does, like, he's a genius when it comes to fucking, you know, draw, like, just, like, figuring out the rules of the game and how to sort of help himself in the, in the process, uh, like his numbers. So I think he'll figure out some other fucking scam. You know, he's like literally, he's the Enron in the, what's his name? What was that guy that did that pyramid scheme? The um, Bernie Madoff. He's a Bernie Madoff. He's a Bernie Madoff of fucking, you know, uh, drawn fouls. So he will, he will scam the referees in some other Ponzi scheme. You know, he'll, he'll go back to the lab and fucking figure something out. He's the Tony, but yeah, Allen. I think he's it's the Tony Allen of health funds. Yeah. The Tony Allen of health fund. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, folks? I think, it's, think useful. it's useful. Yeah, it's useful because it's showing us that, you know, their point of emphasis DVD shit they show you before the season, they're actually implementing. So, like like we've both said, it's five, six games in, small sample size. Let's talk about this again. I think we circle back in, you know, around Christmas and see if, if it's trending that way. But I think another part, I've seen James Harden's comments. He said, you know, he's claiming that he, he hasn't he hasn't played live basketball all offseason because he had some issues with his injuries and rehab and he's clearly not in shape. He looks a little overweight. So, I think that that's a big part of it as well. So, I think by, you know, the next four or five weeks, he's like in a better shape. Those numbers will go up but I don't think we see the 11 attempts a game that we saw in Houston ever again thankfully and I'm, I'm a fan of it next one the Heat have a ninth that was by that was actually via Sports Center one of the few good ones they put out bro so I just want to give them a shout out oh, well, usually nice. it's just um, Stephen A. Smith yelling into a microphone hey Bogues you feeling okay you're shouting out the you're giving props to the NBA and Sports Center you good well, no, I had surgery. What eight days? Uh, yeah, eleven days ago now. So it's probably the probably the med. Stop sniffing that oxycotton, <laughs> by the way, brother. I don't think you, you know. I think you should go to Advil. Uh, we shelve them in Australia. <laughs> oh my bad. You probably don't know what that means, but um, our listeners will know. No. The Heat have a 94.0 defensive rating this season. That would be the best defense by any team since the three point era, 1980. That's via stat muse. Useful or useless? I think it's useless for now. Um, I think it's like unlike unlike the the heat uh, the James Harden deal. I think it's it's too way too, too small early. of a sample size. Yeah, but I mean they are fucking playing great. They are playing really good good basketball. What's crazy but- is I mean Jimmy's a great defender and Bam, but like they don't really. It's not like they have other standout defenders on that roster, really. Like Duncan Robinson's not known as a defender. Um, Tyler Hero's playing a lot of minutes, not known as a defender. So that's uh, the only reason that caught my eye was because of that. Like you're not looking at 
a long, lengthy, in-your-face defensive team, Pro, and no. that's still pretty impressive over five games for a team that's not that. Yes, it is. Yeah, so that, that's why I put it in, but go ahead. No, I, I agree. I, I think it's useless. It's just too small of a, a sample size. I think they do a great job teaching over there. We've talked about them a thousand times here, and we're not going to be a thousand and one. But, um, yeah, I just think it's too small of a sample size. Okay, yeah, I, I agree. I think um, if it's the same number in another month, then it's it's really really useful. But I think they'll be up there. They'll be they'll be a top five defensive team if they continue on that track. Now, Guy Harrison Barnes, man, he's having a barn burner of a start to the season. And once again, all these stats are going to be you know the the, the caveat's going to be sample um, sample size and six games in. But shit, he is twenty six point eight points a game. 10 rebounds a game, 51.4% from the field, 515 from three pro on 8.3 attempts. He's having a hell of a season. Just hit a big game winner in Phoenix too. So I'm loving seeing the Black Falcon, Harry Barnes, having these kind of seasons. I think it's just a testament to the way the way he works and how hard he works behind the scenes, utmost professional, always kind of the same guy um, every day, puts his work in. But useful or useless stat, bro? Well, I'm going to have to... St- I'm going to have to go consistent and say it's useless for now because of the fact it's such a small sample size. I will tell you this. The most dangerous thing a player could have is not only results, but have confidence. It's a scary thing because if he, he can, if he can keep this up, because here's the thing, his preparation, as you said, always stays the same. You know, his approach to the game always stays the same and he's producing like fucking Darren Fox is shooting like 13% from three or some bullshit like that. Like <laughs> this guy, if this guy continues doing it and he just keeps his confidence going uh, and like that, his confidence has always been high, but it's not. But like if he has this production, they keep going to him and he keeps figuring out ways to be productive like this. I mean, he's an efficient player. He's been pretty efficient his whole career. But I have to say useless because it's only been five games. But I will tell you this. I w- it wouldn't be surprised, like, maybe not 25 a game, but maybe 23 or 22 a game for the whole year. You know, I think I think you could definitely see a big uptick. And I will tell you this. The guy's on my fantasy fucking team. So he better stop. He better keep this fucking 25-game pace. Or I'll put him on the fucking trading block. How about that? Why not? But no, I mean, um, I think it's – I'm going to go half-half on this one. I, I think it's early. I think you're right. But what's useful is 51% from three on eight attempts. That's – any team will take that right now. If he continues even these numbers, even let's say 80% of what he's doing, he's going to be an all-star because I think they're going to be 500 at least. I think they'll be in the playoff mix if he continues to play like this. And he might he might go to his first all-star game. So hopefully that happens. It is early right now. We're um, you know, throwing darts at a dartboard without having any – any any drinks under us, so it's very very easy at the moment. But <laughs> we'll see we'll see how that goes. This one, the last one I added, um, I just saw this before we jumped on on air. Don't look at it. Don't don't scroll down and look at the numbers, pro. But if I, if I asked you who has the most paint points in the league up to date, who would you think it is? A player that with the most paint points. Pretty simple one would be the number one generally on most people's minds every season. Of uh, I'm I'm pretty fucking stupid. I'm gonna go like former MVP. Former MVP. Mm, just won a championship. <laughs> Giannis. I mean, Giannis would be, oh, yeah. in my opinion, there you go. when you really think it through, Giannis is probably the guy you'd always think. But John Morant and Anthony Davis are at 16 points a game in the paint. Now, 
Moran, he's just playing unbelievably. As we know, I've really enjoyed watching his growth. But 16 a game from the guard spot, that's fucking hard to do. That's This season is re- very reminiscent of the D. Rosie. He won MVP, in my opinion, so far. Small sample size, right? But very similar. The similarities, getting in the paint, bouncy, up and unders, really beautiful, elegant way to play basketball. Very, very enjoyable, worth the price of admission. So we got number one is those two tied. Giannis is number two. Jokic is number three. Number four, Montrez Harrell, pro. I, I called I called it. This guy was going to bring him energy off the bench. He's actually starting for him now, and they're winning games. So I might have got one right, but I don't think I had the whiz. I don't even know if I had them in my um. I didn't, I didn't have him in my playoff bracket, so I could be half wrong. But yeah, man, that's that's impressive for John Moran. I don't think it sustains for the whole season. I think the teams would surely see that considering he's, he's coming in from the three-point line and try to keep him out of there a little bit more and maybe go a bit more boxes and elbows. But um, yeah, an interesting stat nonetheless. Useful or useless? I think it's useful. I think, like you said, the, the number will probably be a little different you know, at the end of the year, but um, very reminiscent of Derek Rose, uh, reminiscent of a – uh, Westbrook, how he attacks you, how he just plays with multiple speeds. He gets to the paint and he attacks and attacks. He's got a good floater. He could finish at the rim, as a lot of players have seen the hard way. Um, I think this kid's a special player, and I think he's going to be, you know, one of the top ten players in the NBA pretty soon. Probably not there right as of yet, but he's he's fucking shooting up with a fucking rocket right now. You know, he's. Yeah, he's pretty good. He is R- really fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. And, and the three ball, he, he shot it. He's, he's streaky though, um, kind of D Rose-ish. You know, he, he's streaky, but yeah, he hit, hit a couple of big threes against Golden State, and he's been uh, real fun to watch, pro. So, on to your segment. What do you got, folks? We got fact or fake news. Let's go. Let me just make sure I don't mess this one up. Oh, you know what? We talked about John Morant. Let's start with John Morant. John Morant will be on one of the um, NBA, all NBA teams at the end of the season. Fact or fake news? Yeah, fact. Um, that's that's 15 spots, I believe. I'm good at math, pro. Five, it's three teams Oof, of five. First team, second team, third team. I made, one, I made one of those, man. I should know. I made one. That's one thing. One good thing individually I did in the NBA. But uh, I think he's <laughs> in. Yeah, I think he's in. I think he's a top 15 player. Like you just said, he's scratching the surface of 10, not there yet. But, you know, he's going to be – the balls continue to go to go through his hands 90% of the time when he's on the floor. They're a young, fun team to watch. Have a pretty good mix. They're, they're still missing Brooks, I think. He's, he's got to come back from injury or he missed the last couple of games. So they'll be in there in that in that playoff fringe, playoff probably, you know, where do we have him? Six, seven to 10, somewhere around there. So yeah, fact is he's going to be an all nba in this season. What do you got? I think so too, Bogues. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go fact. I think that, you know, he's coming on strong right now. I think that the team, you know, his team's solid. I think that he he's gone through the rookie you know, he's gone through that whole rookie deal, that whole young player deal as far as struggles and, you know, trying to overcome some things. And I think that this year's his year. I think he, he's got ultimate confidence. I think the guy plays hard as it is. And I think the guy is a, a special player. So I think he will, he'll make that third team at least that third team all NBA. Sticking with the genre of unsafe NBA cities to go out at a night, uh, Zion Williamson. He will play more than 55 games this season out of the 82 that he has scheduled to play. Fact or fake news? Well, I would have said I would have said fact, but I don't know if you're on your phone, bro. But um, we're in a we're in a chat with the old Ethan Sherwood Strauss, 
Uh, have you seen that text yet? I've seen Zion. Um, there's a picture of Zion, but I haven't seen it. Oh well, yeah, if you if, if you click the link, yes. Anyway, he sent through a, a, a link of uh, someone's recorded Zion um, working out. It's you know, there's a tweet. You sure, from, that's not my pregame workout. Well, yeah, I was I was look, I had to take a second look. Demand. De- Rangula on Twitter has posted it, um, and the caption is "My first time back in the gym after a vacation." And uh, Zion looks huge. So I'm going to say fact news, uh, fake news. He's going he's to be under. Sorry, did you say he's going to play more or less than 55? 55, 55 or more games? Uh, fake news. Anyway. Like he's not. He's already missed six or seven. I think looking at. How heavy he is, which we confirmed. No one else confirmed that for a long, long time till after we we posted it. He is heavily overweight. It starts with a three somewhere, and that's all we know. Wouldn't get on a scale or trading camp, but he comes back from his injury over three hundred. There's a high chance he gets hurt again. I mean, he, he, like we've said, he's a strong dude. He's powerful, but he's athletic and. The bursts that he has with the power that he has whilst carrying an injury, it's a it's a bad mix in my opinion. So yeah, I think he's he's gonna be in and out of lineups and they'll probably try to, you know, even when he comes back, knowing he's looking at his weight right now, they're gonna probably give him, you know, he's gonna play one of two for a while and they'll play back to backs. So you factor that in with potentially missing more time towards the middle end of season, not, he's not hitting past fifty five pro. What do you think? I think fake news. I mean, we're we're at what, game six or seven for him? And he's not even close to being in game shape. So now you're factoring in. I, I mean, I'm, I'm bad at this. Fuck, I thought Cunningham was going to be out the whole year. I, I read that tweet last week. The fucking guy played tonight with supposedly a broken ankle like a week ago. And now that guy's playing. <laughs> I'm awful at fucking, I'm awful at predicting this bullshit. But like, I can't see him. I mean, literally, the guy's 10 games away. He's got to be 10 games away from like playing. He's not going to play. He can't be playing in back to backs, being in that shape. I, I can't. I can't see him doing it, Bogues. I can't. I, I think you're going to see a 45 to 50 gamer from this kid this year. Yeah, you know, 55 is a lot. I say fake news. All right. Last but certainly not least, Bogues. What I've been noticing over the past, you know, the past week or ten days of the season that there's a lot of players struggling. Shooting the ball. Dame Lillard's way in the shitter with his three-point shooting. Kevin Herter, who's on my fucking fantasy team, can't make a basket. Duncan Robinson, my fucking on my fantasy team, it's like shooting with three rims. He might be in concussion protocol, and he may not even know it. Jason Tatum has been not shooting the ball well. All terrible shooting numbers this season. Now, there has been a change with the ball from Spalding to Wilson. Is the ball has anything to do with the lack of shooting? I mean, these guys are really good NBA three-point shooters. And these guys are, are shooting very low numbers with with their numbers. Does the ball have anything to do with that, folks? Because you've been through that ball change before, correct? Yeah. When the oh, one Spalding? I think so. I think fa- I think there's some fact to it. I, look, at the end of the day, if people are going to say the ball's round. It's the same for everyone. But – you know, so I've seen guys affected. So I went through that infamous year. What year was that? Uh, was that 07, 08, 08, 09? It was somewhere around there. Yeah. Where they, they went from the, the leather, the synthetic leather to, sorry, the leather to like a full synthetic rubber. And it was like complete opposite. And it didn't, the, the seams didn't line up all the way around. It was, I didn't mind that ball, to be honest, because it was more like an international ball. I, I struggled with the NBA balls, to be honest, early on in my career, because every city you went to, they were different and the wet, the leather, it wore differently. 
I remember going to New Jersey Meadowlands where it was really cold and the, the ball would be like a dark brown in New Jersey. You go to Miami, it'd be a bright orange. So like every city was different in the wear from the natural leather was different. So I didn't mind the rubber ones, but I think there's some fact to it, Pro. I don't think it's the be-all and end-all, but I think there's an adjustment period. Um, what I would try to do in, in off-seasons, I'd always try to get the ball that whatever next tournament, whether it was FIBA, Olympics, or NBA I was going to, I'd try to work out with that ball as much as I, I could. But when you get used to a certain ball and the way it feels and all that, yeah, it can, it can mess with you a little bit. And then even if it isn't the ball and then you start shooting bad, you might think it's the ball. So then, then you've got that whole mental thing. So I think there's some fact to it, Pro. Like we've said many times and you've said, players will eventually adapt. Might be a matter of just them just getting more shots up with it and getting a better feel for it. I'd be interested to see. Have you touched one of those balls, uh, Pro? Have not touched a Wilson basketball, No. I have not. Have you? It looks like it's more rubber than than the leather finish. So I'm not. I haven't. No, I haven't touched one of those. Not the NBA ones. We play with a similar one in the NBL, the Wilson Jet, and they weren't too bad. They were more kind of rubbery and, and bouncy. You could really feel how rubbery they were. It's kind of springy. Um, whereas the NBA ones a bit more kind of hard and less springy um, with spalding. But now, so I haven't felt it. I wonder if that you know if it's a bit more on the rubbery side and they're trying to move away from from leather. It's all about climate change, pro. You don't want to be using too much leather. And the NBA shit. I, I don't. I hate to imagine how many of those leather balls being made for them so maybe, they're, maybe they've gone green <laughs> remember we used to wear the go green t-shirts pro because we promoted every agenda under the sun whilst playing the NBA we used to wear the yeah. go, go green t-shirt and then you know you'd see a guy take a sip out of a water bottle and throw the whole thing out and then get another one out of the fridge but yeah we're all about going green <laughs> in the NBA mate yeah no doubt I think I definitely think it's fact now I don't I think a lot of it has to do with the mental side of it I don't think I don't think most of it more than 50% as it do with the actual ball itself. But I think the player's mental, and you know how it is with players, how fragile they are mentally sometimes. Not all of them, but a lot of them, um, where they think they shoot with a new ball is, is fucking them up a little bit. Because I'll tell you what, like, I watched Dallas last night, and again, sometimes you're just coming off a of back-to-back and stuff, but guys couldn't make a fucking shot. And a lot, some of those guys are struggling from the three-point line in the first six or seven games of their season. And it's not just them. I mean, like we said, there's a lot of these guys. It's just uncharacteristic. Now, Duncan Robinson just signed that big deal, so maybe he's fucked up from that. I don't know. But the guy can't make a shit. Fucking Herder can't. You know, guys are playing him at the fucking charge circle from his three-point line, you know, and he can't make a shot. It is a little weird that some of these guys that, you know, like you know, historically are great shooters are really struggling not just one game but struggling in five or six straight games it's uh it is an interesting deal to sort of keep an eye on but i think it is fact i think i think at least mentally most of them are fucked up from it yeah we'll watch that space i think um can only can only go up for those guys from here i think but steph curry and a few other guys steph curry just shot a a running three-point shot with 20 seconds on the shot clock the other night. So, uh, you know, he doesn't seem to be struggling too much, but um, he is a freak. And by the way, did you hear about his, his off-season off shooting routine, what they've changed? Yeah, the the, the trainer um, the trainer is doing all swishes. Crazy, hey, Crazy. Yeah, I, wanted, I want that trainer to come back and say he's doing the same thing for Looney and seeing how that fucking goes for Looney and seeing <laughs> if he can improve. Leave my guy Looney alone, man. No, no, I'm just saying, like, you know, no, I, 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 look, Steph Curry, his routine is ridiculous. And look, he, like, coming out of college, I thought he was just okay. I thought he was going to be a good player. I thought he could be a starter in the NBA. His routine and his confidence and his, you know, that is what brought him into all star and Hall of Fame level. Like, there had to be a change and I don't know if it was diet. I don't know if it was exercise routine. I don't know if it was workouts, 
But all of this stuff has really contributed to him being the great player that he has been. And if they're doing stuff like this where they're not counting on making it unless it's a dead-eye switch, God bless him, man. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the rumor. So basically what we're talking about here is they've said in his off-season workouts, it got to a point where it was it was just ridiculous. He's making 98 out of 100 or whatever it was on most of his spots and this and that. And, and, and his trainer said that he needs to think of something different to challenge him and he's Basically, they don't they don't include the shot if it hits rim. <laughs> so, sheesh, I'd be there. I'd be there. For, we'd be there for a while, bro. You'd be um. You get a lot of cardio. Oh, shit. Yeah, you get a lot of cardio with me. I'd look like you yeah. if I was rebounded for you. I'd look like you at the end of the workout. So, <laughs> God bless it. Yeah, good one. All right, I'm gonna do a breakdown to finish this off in in, in Lewis story time. So, I did a podcast the other day, pro. Um, it's called the the, the Benas podcast. Uh, a friend of mine, a coaching friend of mine, put me in touch with with Benas, who's um, Lithuanian. So check that podcast out, the Benas podcast, and uh-huh. talk to all things X's and O's. And one of his questions was was one I wanted to touch on. So he was like, "What did what did you like as a as a player as far as as far as scouting? Now outside of of, of video clips, we know what video we've discussed video at length before, where players would want to watch certain clips and who prepared it was it the player, the coach, all that kind of stuff. We discussed that before. But you kind of what did you you want as far as a scout on paper and so it triggered me to remember that you know we'd get our standard every team has standard scouting reports they give all their players most of them aren't ever even read or touched uh, for the most part but they we all get a we all get a copy of, of, a, of a scouting report before every game and then um, when the playoffs start you get like an actual big big ass folder full of book yeah uh, a book and then some back back in the day when it was dvds you get dvds and, and now they can send you actual clips but so anyway, he he asked me, "What do I like?" And and I, I kind of uh, my whole thing was it's mainly later on in my career. Um, I didn't want the standard scan report that you know they they drew up for everyone and said this player does this because once you played in the league long enough, I could I could tell you a guy scout without him reading that shit. I'd know you know all that kind of stuff, right? All I ended up wanting, I was one of the few guys that wanted this, but some guys did it, some guys didn't. I, I wanted the quadrant breakup probe, so. There's like a document you can get or, or a program. Mm-hmm. I think you can look at it at NBA.com. Cuts the yep. court in half and I think it puts it, is it 16 quadrants? 16, 16 little areas maybe. I think mm-hmm. it's 16 max. And each little 16, so you'd have like left block, right block, left short corner, left deep corner, left three, and then blah, 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 so on and so forth. Long threes here, long three. And they all are associated to colors. And then obviously green's really good, orange is okay, red shit. So it would basically say, okay, I'm playing Blake Griffin on the right block. It would say he's, you know, seven for 35 on the season, but on the left block, he's, you know, 25 for 35. So I I knew like, okay, on the left block, like I want to try to push him away from there or be on high alert when he catches it in these areas or if he catches it on the left block right on the block he's shooting 80% but if I make him take a step off it, it drops to 45 that that were really useful for me because it was it was quick and easy and it, and it just would be like all right these spots good these spots bad keep him away so I just wanted to talk about what have you seen that's kind of a unique one that not a lot of people used I don't believe it was there for the taking but not a lot of players did it I literally got a two-page printout Sorry, no, it was about a five-page printout of all the bigs on on the next team I was playing. And then come playoffs, I would also get, like, if we're playing Portland, I'd get Dame and um, I'd get anyone that I was involved in pick and rolls with. So, I'd be like, okay, Dame, you know, on a pick and roll going left, he pulls up most of the time, even from, like, five feet out. But going right, he's going to try to go off the dribble and beat me to the basket. So, it was, it's kind of shit like that where you kind of figure out. But just talk about some other other unique um, ways players have, have, have kind of spoken to you about scouts or some, some unique things you've seen other than just the standard, you know, um, A to B scouting report. I'll, I'll just give you the list of what I gave Kobe every game. 
So, I mean, you know, it's funny that you said about the quadrants. Uh, a shooting coach, one of my best friends' name is Dave Hopla, who worked for, you know, the Knicks, Washington, Toronto. Um, he, he would tell me about what you're talking about with the quadrants. And this probably back in about 05. And it was called NBA Hot Zones. And yeah, NBA.com had it. You could you could look at it with every player. And yeah, like hot, cold, it'll give you like a color depending on what he was shooting and what he was shooting in that quadrant. So like when I got hired by Kobe, I wanted to sort of impress him about what he needed. So we came up with this sort of format of things that he would get before every game. He wanted the starter, the backup, and the backup's backup in this this list that he would get. He would get a 12-minute offensive breakdown on film, the, you know, what they did offensively. Shots they got in the offense in the last five or six games, he wanted 12 minutes on the block, on the dot for each player. Then he got a nine-minute video of nothing but their mistakes, turnovers, what situations they would turn the ball over, high frequency, you know, place on the court, things like that. Then eight-minute edit on each player defensive tendencies strengths weaknesses did they did they leave their you know feet for fakes did they ball watch um you know could, could you do certain things where defensively they fouled in certain situations he wanted all of that the shot chart that we talked about that you had he got the the, the hot zone frequency of right and left percentages on right and left finishes as well he got are they susceptible to fakes did they did their eyes wander off the ball were they mentally soft? How can they get in his head? Defensive rotations of the, of the other team, where they rotate from in pick and roll, where they rotate from the post, where they rotate from the elbow isolation. And that was sort of some of the things that he would get and then he would want a half-page half plan of attack for the game. Where should he really start? You know, what should he really be do, looking to do offensively? What, you know, his teammates, like what – what was the mismatch that they, they had? Lamar Odom, was it Gasol? Was it, you know, Bynum or whatnot? And then he would want post-game edits of his own play. So he was very particular as far as what he wanted video-wise, what he wanted stat-wise. And um, he did this every fucking game. I don't, I've never seen a player do anything like this and eat it up for every game. It was, crazy. It, it was pretty insane. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I guess he probably had to commit more towards – Offense as well. So for me, um, later on in my career, let's be honest, I wasn't, you know, my, my role wasn't to be really anything offensive besides getting Steph and Clay open, rolling, dunking, getting offensive rebounds, knowing my role. So I didn't really need to look at where am I getting double team from, you know what I mean? Whereas a Kobe or a Steph, I noticed Steph especially, they'll, they'll, they'll watch a lot of clips on how team defenses are set the last time they played, what did they do to get the ball out of my hands. So I guess that sounds very similar to Kobe, whereas you know I had the luxury of not having to invest that much time in my offense. I invested most of mine in in, in defense because I knew that I'd have to stop their best big every every night. It'd be myself and Draymond. a lot of film, folks. A lot of film. I wasn't a huge huge film guy where I'd watch clip after clip. I'd watch more patterns of play with what they're doing um, to try and like. So if it was like Memphis, for instance, we played them. Um, and I had, I had the task of guarding Zebo that whole series and guarding real well. It was more the unique ways of when when they're trying to get him on ducking plays, like what was the you know the false action to get him to a ducking, or what was the false action to get him to a cross screen, or how's he getting his points? So those kind of clips, but I wouldn't really watch like just a bulk of film. I was never a huge bulk bulk film guy. I wanted more like um, paper stuff. So I, I was like I wanted the, the the numbers on paper. I just felt like I I remembered that much more rather than an individual edit. But as far as film, I wanted um, some of their quick hitter stuff to get 
a star player cheap baskets like a Zebo. It's like, okay, they're going to run this and then cross screen you to get him an easy basket or he wants, he wants it on this spot. This is how they get in there. I definitely, yeah, watch those, but I wasn't, I wasn't a 15, 20 minute film watcher pro. It just was, was never me. Um, and, and I think for me, once, once you're in the NBA, other than, you know, a few rookies coming in, you kind of have a pretty good feel for most guys. Um, not a lot really changes as far as guys' skill sets throughout their career, um, unless they maybe get a three-point shot that they didn't have. Other than that, like they're not really changing what they're doing in the post, what shoulder they want to go to. So it was just about having that good memory of, of knowing, you know, exactly what they do. Yeah, I mean, different players do different things, like especially veterans, like they probably want to do a lot less as they get more years into the league. But it's just different. Like Kobe was big on mistakes. Like how is a player going to make mistakes on offense or defense? Like guys like, like say like O.J. Mayo and going into a game against O.J. Mayo, I would give him a lot of clips about guys posting up O.J. Mayo and backing him down because O.J. was 6'4 and short arms, you know, average length. So things like that he could just destroy him with early on. And that's what you want to know, like how they made mistakes and obviously what they were good at and what they weren't. It's just interesting about some players are just that they're sort of how they're built like that. Like Rondo could watch film, 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 breakdowns and scouting reports and things like that because obviously he's such a like next level thinker. He ingests all that stuff. But then some players don't even want to fucking hear about it. Like, I, you know, so you, you, you give them stuff. You're like, no, I don't want to see this, bro. I'm good. I'm fine. Like, you know, they hated scouting reports. I mean, what player loves the, uh, there aren't many players that love those fucking film sessions, you know, day of the game, going after film, after clip, after clip, after clip. Like, you know, a lot of players don't like that shit and their eyes gloss over anyway. So, I mean, I think it depends. Some players like it, some don't. Some prepare just in different ways. Some are more video, some are more visual, some like to, you know, like to read about the reports, but walkthroughs uh, yeah we do walkthroughs as well where we walk through the sets and all that kind of stuff some some people like that better so everyone's different i I think it's you know putting everything in one basket silly so you want to try to you know for assistant coaches out there and coaches sometimes you're going to have guys that can only sit through five minutes of film and then they're they're with the fairies right um then there's guys that hate the walkthrough because they're not going full speed they can't really get fully engaged because it's just you're in street clothes and you're walking through so everyone's different and i guess just for the coaches out there and and assistant coaches is just to try to know your players and, and do if you tick all those boxes they'll get what they need from from one or one or two of them um, but they might not get what they need from all of them so don't do just one thing and then be like well why aren't you watching more film you know because some people just don't unfortunately respond that way and you got to kind of adapt on the fly but that's what we see in the nba they they, they definitely tick all the boxes and, and, and they just pray to god that the players have taken one of those in because they've wasted all this time doing clips and walkthroughs and an email you know in the playoffs we got i got a massive drop box full of all the clips instead of dvds because technology right so Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just just doing a good mix. Yeah, and I think as a coach, you really need to re- you need to read your audience, right? Like, if you're if your players if you're watching 25 minutes of clips, you know, to go over a team and you and you see your guys falling asleep and not really paying attention, then condense it, condense it to five minutes, six minutes. I remember like my first. I hated fucking doing scouting reports and shit. It's funny. I love doing them for Kobe. I hated doing them in coaching. So, like, when I was at the Red Claws, they had me do a game, one game and one game only. My first and only game, like, I did, like, 12-page scouting report, and I gave it to every player. Like, not on every player, but 12-page total, like, with plays, tendencies. Austin Ainge, Danny Ainge's son that was coaching the team, took the report. This is before the players got in the locker room and literally ripped nine pages out of each one. He goes, Mike, there's no way that they're going to ingest all this stuff. You got to keep it to three pages maximum. 
And that taught me a lot, like, wait a minute, you're right. Like, I can't treat players like they're coaches because they're not. They're not coaches. They they don't love this shit like that, Leo. They don't love, like, the 19 plays that these teams are going to run. Maybe give them two plays that they're going to run that, that are really important. And then give them, like, a couple of things on each player that they're good at, not good at. So that taught me a lot. Wait a minute. Let's condense this shit. Like if I'm talking to a coach, I could talk all night about offenses and defenses and all that bullshit. But players don't like that. So – and I, it taught me a lot of how to deal with players because not all players are like me. Not all players like and dislike the things that I like and dislike. So it's important to understand what motivates the player and what are they going to really want to ingest – when it comes to – they're going to have to ingest something. You can't just get rid of it. But you can't just force things down players' throats and expect them, like, every player to be the same. you got to figure out what the majority of the, your players are going to like when it comes to preparation, you know, getting ready for teams. Yeah, the, the best one was the coaches used to do was um, the the deep scouting reports that were three, four pages long. They'd, they'd hide something in the middle of them saying, if you read this, come and collect $100 from Coach Kerr or <laughs> – you know, if you, if you read this or blah, 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 blah. Do you want a story about that? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so, uh, he might, the Black Falcon might kill me for this one. So, I would do this video, these videos to prep um, Harrison one year, you know, like, like same thing, like players at his position that he'll be defending and, and, you know, their tendencies. Not as detailed as Kobe's, but I'd send it to him. And I wanted to make sure that he was watching it. So I would like slip in a slide of uh, a North Carolina player because that's where he went. So like, you know, a, a famous NBA, like it could be James Worthy, it could be Michael Jordan, whatever. Then I started getting like really like, you know, just obscure players. So I gave him one of this seven foot six guy that played at North Carolina. And I would do it like before the game. And it was a guy named Neil Fingleton. Well, the day I put Neil Fingleton in, he died. Died of a massive heart attack. No way. Yeah. Dude, I was fucking, I was, even my wife, like, I, I, I could, I was fucked up for like four days. Then the staff was like, you know, hey, pro, I got an ex-wife. Can you put her on the next report? Like, shit like that. <laughs> but, but, like, I literally was the Grim Reaper. They called me the Grim Reaper for, like, a week or two. Like, literally. And I knew the guy because I coached him. He was from England. Seven foot six. He was actually in the Game of Thrones actor. He tried playing. He was at North Carolina. And then he transferred to Holy Cross. He was an All-American, but he just he just wasn't mobile like that. He was like a Mark Eaton type, right? And uh, played in North Carolina, wasn't very good, transferred, like I said. Played overseas for a little bit, and then he was an actor. He was, uh, like I said, he was in Game of Thrones and a bunch of stuff. I literally put his picture in the report that day, in the video, and he'd fucking died, the poor bastard, made rest in, spe- rest in peace. What did Harrison say? Shook his head. He couldn't believe we we cut it off that day. We never did it again after that. That was it. <laughs> that was it. But literally, that they would give me so much shit. Staff members were giving me so much shit because I was a fucking grim reaper. And then, of course, they started busting my balls by accident, like when you accidentally blocked block JJ Redick. <laughs> yeah, I accidentally. Yeah, blocked JJ Redick. It's always by accident. They actually that the Mavericks put my contract in the in the fucking report my sixth year when they when they fucking shit canned me. So. You know, it had the same effect, I guess, but... Fun times. Anyway, that's episode 40. Thanks for tuning in. We had a few issues with the call-in, so we'll try to 
get that done next week. Uh, appreciate everyone's support for joining us again, Pro. We'll see you next week. Folks, thanks. Appreciate everybody. We'll see you next week.